Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman, and I've always been fascinated with the idea of how a single moment in time can change your life. My guest this week is a classic example. His name is John Rampton. A Monday day in John's life, when he was a young guy working his way through college in construction, was snapped into pieces by a crazy collision. This led to great pain, difficulty, and fear for how he was going to live the rest of his life. That forced Rampton to become an expert on the internet, simply to protect himself. The expertise he gathered through so many hours in front of a computer screen in a hospital bed ultimately brought him millions of dollars. It also led to a business that crashed and kindness coming from the people he'd been kind to all along the way, which enabled him to rise all over again. John was recently named one of the top online influencers in the world by Entrepreneur Magazine. He's founded and invested in many companies. You might have heard of Calendar, which provides productivity tools, or Do, which helps people get paid. He was just the right guy for me to talk with because I need to be productive. And I'm trying to reach my goal of bringing in a million dollars of new revenue for my business by the end of May. Million Dollar May! It's clear to anybody who knows me that I'm an old school guy needing help in all areas of social media. Look, I know my new business offers exactly what many companies need. A lot of companies have problems getting their authentic stories out through all the noise. And I know how to tell stories. Been doing it for decades for magazines like Esquire. I know I can help a lot of these companies achieve their purpose and lift their revenues. That's gonna improve a lot of lives. And that's what I wanna do in this stage of my life. The quicker I become at one with social media, the more I'm gonna be able to accomplish, the more I'll be able to help people. So I know I have to go all in. Maybe down the road, I'll look at my conversation with John as a transformative moment. Hey, we had this conversation through Zencaster. That was over the internet. So I'm making strides here. I learned so much in our talk and you're gonna hear it in a moment. But first, I wanna tell you about another specific moment that has changed lives. It relates to one of my sponsors, Sportique. My pal Matt Altman at Sportique turned me on to a guy named Bruce Keenan. Bruce was trekking in the Himalayas of Nepal about 20 years ago when he came across a tea house. When you're out in the shadow of the Himalayas, a tea house is a small restaurant where you can get a meal, throw down a sleeping bag, and have some rest. Now at this tea house, Bruce sees this little girl. She's about seven years old, sweeping the floor of the restaurant, hanging clothes to dry. Something about the spirit in her smile grasped his attention. And you can see this smile if you go to the blog section of sportique.com, that's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. There's a beautiful photo of the young girl. Anyway, Bruce asks about her. 
Turns out she'd been abandoned in the street and the owner of the tea house had taken her in. Now, Bruce has three daughters of his own. And when he heard this, he wanted to help the girl with the smile. So he asked his guide how he could send money to the tea house so that the girl with the wonderful smile could be educated. Nice idea, the guy told him, great intentions, but the reality is it might be complicated. See, this tea house was really off the grid and there was no way of knowing if the money actually would be used to educate the girl. So the guide recommended that Bruce help a child in the capital where the guide could check in to see that things were going as planned. You can read the full story of what happened on the blog at sportique.com, but the upshot is the smile led Bruce to sponsor two girls at an orphanage in Kathmandu. And that led to two more. And three more boys. And well, that single moment when Bruce first saw that smile has led to Himalayan children's charities. It's put 55 orphaned or abandoned children through boarding schools. And now those kids have jobs as neonatal nurses in ICU units, and they're managing the younger kids coming through the program. All those kids get Sportique t-shirts because Bruce brings those shirts to Nepal. The kids are so happy when they get their Sportique tees, they line up for them. It's like a memorable event in their lives. That all came from a single smile. And if you go to sportique.com to check out the threads because you just heard that story, it'll also be because of the moment that Bruce saw that little girl smile. Want to mention one more thing about transformative moments. I'm hoping there will be many of those moments on July 5th and 6th in Munich, Germany. I'll be doing a storytelling workshop there. If you're working with a company that would like some help crafting its story, come on down. We'll be at CoCreate. You can showcase your company's product, and by the end of the day, you'll walk out of that workshop with framed and polished stories about your company, your product, your customers, and yourself. You'll learn the rules of storytelling so that anytime you need to pivot, you'll be able to adjust your story. You'll make some new friends and everybody's business will improve because of the moments we're going to share. That's July 5th and 6th in downtown Munich. Go to www.cokrea.com for details or send me an email with any questions. Let's take this right through the clouds. The way John Rampton turned an obstacle into millions. Here's John. This is going to be an amazing hour. And amazing because I just got a little of your story and I almost didn't want to hear the details because I wanted everybody to hear it at the same time. So... In the introduction, I mentioned you're number two on the top 50 online influencers in the world as ranked by Entrepreneur Magazine. You're a blogging expert as reported by Forbes. 
and I need help with social media. So this is a wonderful meeting. Can't wait to help. All right, now here's the thing. I just noticed that my I got beeps going off all the time. I gotta figure out a way to just get my, you see, this is my problem. That's all right, just cancel out of them. All Quit right. out of those things. Do not disturb. You see, this is my problem, John. I just don't go very smoothly with social media and the internet. I've got to turn this around and that's why I need you. Well, I am, I am here to guide you. I'm here to show you the way. <laughs> Hopefully, okay. I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of pressure on myself, but uh, I'm here. I'm if you knew me, you'd help. know how much pressure it is, John. I, I'm a warm body, you know, I'm here to help. Okay, well, here's the thing. I, I'd like to take this back to this unbelievable, well, it's not unbelievable, it's an amazing story that you're telling me about when you're younger, you're out working in construction and you have a moment that changes your life. Can you set it up and just tell everybody what you were telling me the other day? Yeah. So um, back in the day, I was going to college and, you know, I, like most college students, had, had to pay their way through, through college. So I was working at a job, but that didn't quite make it. I literally worked 40 hours and went to school full time and I still couldn't make enough money to pay for school and live. So I was working on the weekends as well, and I was working at a construction site. And the only day I could really work and get up there was on, on the weekends. And I would be up there at like 5 a.m. and I'd work all day long. And I, I would sit and spray off construction equipment. That was my job. Spray off construction equipment and spray off the gutters. Just trying to keep things clean and you know all the dust out of the air. And what year of college were you in? This was my junior year. Okay. Of and, college. And where exactly was this construction site? This was in Park City, Utah. So the home of the 2002 Winter Olympics. I was going to the University of Utah. Okay. So if, if I'm looking at what's about to happen on a movie screen, what am I seeing? So you are seeing a guy with headphones, this completely clueless, you know, young person who thinks he's going to go conquer the whole world, a.k.a. me. I'm facing towards a house, spraying off a gutter with equipment in front of it and keeping it clean. I'm seeing one of those big front-end loaders. It's known as a skidster. It's the little bit smaller one with the little dump truck on it with the tank tread wheels backing up with another clueless person with headphones in. He's backing up. I'm facing the opposite way. He's backing up and not looking. And that's what you're seeing in the movie. You're looking at this and you're just cringing. You're like, I know what's going to happen. And this guy is totally going to die. Now, now, hold it. What about, you know, when you see that machinery moving back, you're going to hear the beep, 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 beep. Yep. So on this machine, particularly, they had disabled that. Oh. So it had no beep, 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 beep. Then what happens? And then all of a sudden something hits my back right leg and just crunches. And it keeps going and keeps going. I'm facing the opposite way and it hits my back leg and it snaps my leg in half and keeps going. 
and I'm holding a fire hose and I immediately drop the fire hose so water starts squirting everywhere and I'm sitting there being smacked by this hose because I'm worried about my leg and the guy stops and jumps out of the machine and it's on top of me and the only reason he saw me or saw or stopped really to get out was because he saw this random fire hose flying throughout the air, spraying water everywhere. So that water hose, that fire hose, theoretically it saved my life. Cause had he kept going, it was going up my leg. And when he stopped, he was about halfway up. It was a little over my knee, but it had snapped my, my foot and my front, you know, kind of where the ankle is all in half. It was not connected at that point, but he was still on top of me. So he then uh, jumps back in the machine, drives forward. So now he's like driving far... back over you. Yeah, now he's driving back over me slash off me, which actually that was the most excruciating pain. The, the driving over me and the snapping of my leg was actually not the most excruciating part. The most excruciating part and the part I remember the most was him driving off of me. Oh, man. So now he's off you. What happens then? So I immediately, I jump up. I think I'm like standing, but I look down and I'm like literally on bone. And my body's like half off. And I'm like there, but I'm standing up on literally about halfway down my ankle. Actually about three, four inches up on my ankle. And my foot is literally just like kind of ligaments just there and it's on uh, completely on the side. Oh man. Yeah. So it's like one of those scenes you see in the the war movies where the guy looks down and his leg is sitting there. I look down and my leg is sitting there and there are ligaments and stuff attached, but I am standing up and I'm not even realizing it. So when I realized that happened, one I was uneven and my body was completely off and I was, it's like I was kind of leaning down, but I was standing straight up. But I immediately kind of fell to the ground and I was like, oh my word, because I was in shock, by the way. I was not feeling pain at this point. When they say a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they know there's pain going through their body, but I truly could not feel pain at this point. I, my body was in complete shock. And are you still on one leg? Uh, I, by that point, I had sat down on the ground and uh, my buddy literally came running up to me and he was saying a couple explicit words and uh, without even like thinking or talking to me or do anything, he reached down, lifted me up and went over, threw me in his truck. And we started driving to the hospital, which the hospital at that point was about 30 minutes away, about a 30 minute drive. Now, is blood gushing all over the place or is your blood, leg still intact? My, it, so my bone had cut through several parts, so there was a lot of blood coming out. But uh, by this point, when I was in his truck, I'd kind of put a little tourniquet essentially on my leg, which by the way, when you're younger, you have no clue how to apply a tourniquet. Um, I kind of basically put a t-shirt around it, the end of it, and tied uh, another t-shirt, you know, to kind of stop it. It bled the entire way, but it wasn't where it was gushing out. Um, luckily, I hadn't hit any major arteries, so it wasn't like the firm gushing out. But uh, it was a lot of blood. Like when we got there, an entire t-shirt, 
say two t-shirts were full of blood and stuff like that. And it was all over his truck. So you get to the hospital, then what happens? I get to the hospital, they wheeled me in and the person immediately was like, oh my word, like you're, you're in some pretty serious trouble. They put in some morphine. I actually, before even getting to the hospital, I mean, I was still in shock at this point, like complete shock was not really realizing what was going on. And I remember on my way to the hospital, calling up my parents and saying, hey, I got hurt, I'm gonna be at the hospital. And they were like, okay, yeah, sure. So, but even more than that, uh, a little bit later, I remember a couple friends calling me up and they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? What are you doing tonight? I'm like, oh, I got hurt. And they were like, well, how bad? I'm like, well, I messed up my leg pretty bad. Now, I was kind of in denial. I didn't really realize how bad it was because I had stood up and I thought I was just fine. But I told them I was going to go roller skating that night. Like, so I was truly like in a very delusional, like not in that thing. But I was like, yeah, you guys, I'll see you. Let's go roller skating tonight. And they were like, sure, we'll see you there. Like that was on my way down after I'd just been run over. So, and that is basically yeah. how you became number two on the <laughs> top 50 online influencers in the world. Yeah, exactly. So, if you want to do it, guys, there you go. There's exactly how you get to be an online marketing genius. No, explain how that happens because, like, you know, they, I guess I was reading. A John F. Kennedy quote, and it goes, uh, when written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters. One represents danger and the other represents opportunity. And there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, I I parlayed it into an opportunity. Um, You know, when I was there, you know, kind of going back to that a little bit on the hospital scene, I remember the doctor being like, hey, we can't even operate on you right now. Like we they operated a little bit, but they couldn't do a major operation, which they needed to do because my bone and my body was swelling so much that it had to go down to its natural state for them to find it. But um, they then, you know, did a semi operation where they put everything back together as much as they could. Um, And in the coming months, I went to doctor after doctor after doctor who told me I would never walk again. And that was kind of a blow. Um, Just being like, hey, I I originally wanted to be a salesperson. I wanted to be kind of going around selling door to door, that type of stuff. I'm I'm a very big people person. I like talking with people. I like getting to know people, you know, so my essentially my dreams were crushed. Um, and literally and figuratively. So when all these people started telling me no, I started in my mind just being like, hey, I need to come up with a plan B. You know, this, my options are now limited. I might not be able to walk. I might not be able to perform the way I used to. So I need to figure out what's next for me. I I then went online and I started researching out doctors. I figured, you know, first I want to get my leg figured out. And I, over the years, have become a very good online stalker. I don't know if you are uh, a good online stalker, but I have become pretty good at becoming, you know, a really good online stalker. 
Do you have any stalking abilities in you? Um, I don't. I'm lucky to just put out a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I became. I I have become really really good over the years, but I uh, I found two doctors who were experts in how you know tibula and fibula reconstruction of the leg and they were doing stem cell research at the time and I contacted them and uh, both of them ended up flying in to come see my leg and you know they were the first doctors after many many consultations that told me I would actually be able to walk again and I said hey I'll do anything and I remember uh, Dr. I can't remember if it was Horwitz or Salzman but uh, I think it was Horowitz came up to me and he said, hey, how about this? You're going to spend the next nine months in bed. And he's all the first six of it, you're going to have a catheter inside you. You're going to have to be sponge bath because I can't have your leg moving even an inch. So you can't even get up and go to the bathroom. Can't even get up and go to the bathroom. I want your leg completely not moving. And if you're willing to do that, I'll take a chance on you. And he's like, I'll do this surgery. I'll do stem cell injections. And but your leg one, you're going to have to have ice on it. So I had a a, kind of a ice machine um, where they, you know, have a constant ice on it. But I literally had three bags of ice on my leg consistently for almost a year and two months. Like always, always bags of ice on me. But other than that, I had a catheter in me for six months and I didn't eat the same. I didn't do this. I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. All I would do is sit on a couch, lay on a couch and watch movies or work. It was terrible. And what so. comes out of this? Because we know you got the computer in front of you. We know that you yep. stalk these doctors. We know yep. that you have an affinity for working online where does it go yep. from there you know it it basically just came out of necessity um basically i i worked at a job you know we sold virtual tours uh tours to real estate agents help them find and sell things online and luckily my boss at the time was very generous in the fact that he was like hey i'll allow you to work from home but you know, I can still only pay you for what you do and how much you work. That's when I became, that's when my job, you know, instead of doing customer service and helping out this and going and meeting people trying to sell them, went to an online, I had to figure out new ways to sell online. And at the time, online sales weren't the biggest thing. They were just starting. People were just starting to figure out this internet thing. Facebook didn't didn't exist or it just barely started. This had just barely started. That had be, just barely started. Like uh, nobody so, knew what this online was about. So let so so you got injured at just the right time. Yeah, I literally it was kind of the perfect time for me to get injured. Um, if that is the thing, is the right way to say it. But uh, yeah, and crisis definitely met opportunity there. Um, I learned to sell this product online. I learned to sell myself online. I learned to sell others online. I learned to truly find things online, find people online and be able to sell them. You know, going back to the very early days, I got paid $8 per person I sold. $8. 
And so to be able to pay for a surgery that cost millions of dollars and even afford the co-pays on that, I had to be making a lot of money in order to be able to stay in school or do this or do that, which during this time I did drop out for six months, but then I went back after I could actually move and I had a catheter out of me. I went to school, back to school. Um, but during that time, I figured out how to sell online. I figured out how, what people are doing online, how to contact them, how to build different scripts, how to build my own custom website, how to build a script to go scrape the internet and find relevant phone numbers for me to call, how to find email addresses, how to truly navigate online in the way that Google now does, in the way that, you know, the internet works. So that was, you know, kind of my forte into really learning how to do that. And since I couldn't, you know, necessarily call people up 24-7 because I was on a lot of uh, painkillers. And when I'm on painkillers, I couldn't really communicate my best way. I had to learn how to communicate through email to be able to send emails that actually encourage people and incentivize people enough through an email to be able to purchase something. Now, nowadays, that's a whole lot easier. But back in the day, nobody trusted an email to go to a website to be able to put in a credit card to be able to purchase something for a couple hundred bucks. Not many people trusted that. I had to learn how to do that very, very well. Oh, man, that must have made you a great salesman. Yeah, made me a very good at especially the online sales. Like there's a difference between a salesperson and an online salesperson. What's that? Online salesperson, you know, a salesperson can call up and convince you. But an online salesperson has to have the slick writing or the slick this. I call myself sometimes an email shark. Because there's a lot of people who are good at email. Then there's email sharks who know how to convert you online. I had to become good at that. What, what is the secret to being an email shark? I mean, a lot of it's just in being very, very confident in what you do, not being afraid to ask for a sale. There's so many people who teeter around uh, getting a sale, um, testing things out. So many people just in companies don't test. They just send, 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 send. And it's been converting at 2% for the past two years. So that's good enough versus I look at it as, hey, let's get that up to four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve percent 12%. Like, let's test it out. Let's try different ways. Let's see what's working for other people and incorporate it into what we're doing. A lot of learning, a lot of listening, a lot of reading. A lot of listening? Yeah. Listening to what other people, well, when I say listening, Reading. I listen to a lot of books, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, oh, okay. but a lot of like listening slash viewing things, like it, not necessarily YouTube, but watching what other people are doing, online videos, listening to how they convert, but listening more in the sense of like being attuned to what people are doing. Is it easier being an online salesman uh, because you're not getting rejected eye to eye or in a phone call, uh, you're being rejected over the internet. Is, is that somehow easier or do you feel the same sting? Um, I, I feel it's a whole lot easier, um, but uh, those stings go away a lot quicker. Um, but it's also a lot, a lot harder in other aspects. Um, you know, that's why cyberbullying is so easy out there and rampant out there is because it's so easy for people to do it. 
the accessibility to do things like that, the accessibility to say no, and the options out there are so many that I feel one rejection becomes less. Like it's a whole lot easier because a lot of people are doing it and there's millions and millions of people out there. So if I get rejected by one, there's a million people right behind you. But again, there's a million different ways to be rejected versus on a sales call, there's really only one way to be rejected. And that's if somebody says no. When you're in the hospital, how many hours a day are you doing this social media at a time when Facebook and Google were just getting going? So, I mean, this was even before though a lot of those were started. Uh, but I mean, I was doing this like 18 hours a day. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, sometimes even like 20 hours oh, a day because man. I'd wake up at 3 a.m. and I'd have nobody to talk to and I was done watching movies. That's another thing. I can watch movies like nothing else. Uh, Netflix marathons, I mean, I can watch 20 hours straight and not even blink. Um, which is something my wife does not necessarily love about me. Uh, Because I I just sit and watch and watch and watch. And she'll be like, I have to get up and go for a walk. And I'm like, I don't. So, good times. But you're, you're you're walking now, correct? I am walking now, yep. Um... You know, after staying in bed, doing the catheter for that, uh, and it was about a, a 13, almost 14 months before I took my first footstep. And I did a lot of physical therapy, but actually the biggest thing that helped me walk, one, besides having a completely rebuilt foot with uh, stem cell injections, like, we always joke around about it, but uh, I am nearly 2%, actually a little over 2% lamb. So my wife making fun of me all the time. Whenever we drive past sheep, she always says, babe, don't run away. You know, I'm here. I love you no matter what. Um, You know, kind of making fun of me. Um, She literally does this all the time. It's pretty funny. And most, a lot of my close friends do it as well and family. So they, uh, they injected lamb into you. They injected stem cells of lamb that regrew the bone in my ankle. In a, a little bit on my uh, calf as well, going up towards my calf. Kind of regrew the entire tib and fib on my leg. So, And could you feel it growing? I couldn't necessarily feel it growing, so I have a lack of sensation in that area, uh, meaning I can't feel, um, I still can't feel a ton. I can feel pressure in the area, but I actually can't feel feel in that area to the point where... Um, One funny story is my little sister at the time, uh, I believe she was probably around 12, 11, 12 years old. She did not believe that I couldn't feel anything. And I remember her coming up to me and stabbing a needle into my foot slash through my foot. And I was sitting there watching a movie the entire time and I didn't feel it. And all I remember is looking up and my foot was just dripping blood and she had like she had a pale look on her face and she was like (laughs) she literally her words were like you really can't feel it i was like no and then i saw that she had stuck a needle into me Uh, but yeah i truly i can't feel a lot of my thing i feel pressure on it and i feel throbbing pain on it 
Um, I still have pain to this day. It still hurts semi to walk. I always tell people, you know, for me walking or running, I really like to run. I enjoy it. But when I run, it's it's kind of like, you know, going back and picking up four or five little rocks off the ground and, t- and tossing it into your shoe. Oh. And, you know, when I'm running, I'm just fine most of the time. But every now and then one of those rocks slips down and it just gives me a shocking pain. Oh. Up. And that's what it's like for me to walk like 24-7. Is that better than not being able to walk at all? 100%. Would I take that any day of the week? 100%. But, yeah, I still have pain. I still... I used to not be able to feel any sensation um, below about mid-calf, and now I feel uh, all but probably about three or four inches around my ankle. Like, I used to not be able to feel my toes, and now I can feel all my toes and have sensation and can be tickled and stuff like that. Okay, so we got the accident. We got the stem cells of a lamb, and we got social media just being born at the time that you have this accident and are recovering. Where do you take things from there? You know, from there, it was just a whole lot more online, online, being online. Since I wasn't necessarily like other kids my age, um, you know, I can only stand so long. I could only, you know, especially during that time, those first next couple years, I couldn't really you know, go out and go on runs or go out and walk or be at a job that didn't require me at a desk 24-7. So that just compounded my online abilities and being able to stalk and, you know, find people what motivates them online. And that's when social media started. And since I was at my desk 24-7, it's like I could communicate with other people that are behind the scenes or online or who are basically, you know, I feel I was very, very early in the blogging and the commenting and the chat rooms. And those chat rooms moved from a chat room to a social media network, to a MySpace, to a Facebook, to a Reddit. And I became very popular in some of those audiences because I was online all the time. And one, I had to sell. So I was still at the time selling whatever product or service I was offering at the time. So I would get to know people and try helping people out. I mean, that's a big mantra of mine is helping people. I feel if you're just selling, selling, selling online, it shows through very, very easily. So, you know, I became very good at helping other people and connecting other people online. So the more I help people out, the more they would help me out. Um, and the more I help more people, more people help me. I help another person and bam, I got a sale. I help, they help me back. I help, they help somebody else who helps me. Um, and I, you know, I subscribe to that. But people just move from different networks. It, might, it wasn't called social networking. It was called chat rooms. It was called AOL. It was called this. And people moved then to Facebook. And then they moved to Twitter. Then they moved on this network. And it's still the exact same nowadays. But when you have a following on one, typically if you move to another, a lot of your following will already be there or start growing that. And the more you can help others and grow that community and find out what's important to them, the more that network will start growing. Okay, well, I certainly need some help. So I'm glad you like to help people uh, because I uh, I now can put out a tweet every day 
Uh, I've done a little Instagramming. I know that's next. Uh, I'm told I should be on YouTube. Uh, I should be on yep. Facebook. Uh, what like you basically know that I've come up with this crazy idea to try to generate one million dollars in new business by the end of May. Yep. And everyone's telling me, hey. The internet is the way to do it, but I don't know yep. anything about it. You know, I would say a little bit different than the internet is the way to do it. The internet is a vehicle for you to be able to help people that will get you to where you want to be. Um, the internet, in my opinion, is not going to drive you a million dollars unless you're creating videos like crazy and they're super viral and they're doing this. But I don't feel most of these uh, in Instagram celebrities or this are actually making money off that. They're making money off the services that they render. So if you're looking to make money off the internet, my recommendation for you would be to one, put out very relevant content to the audiences that you're trying to connect with. Help them put out, give away the farm, give away everything possible to these people. I find that the more you give, the more that you help people, the more that will come back to you. So when you put out a blog post or when you put out a, one of these very educational videos, give away everything and give it away step by step by step, everything that you could. What happens with people is when you do that, people re start recognizing you as the expert. And when you get recognized as the expert, most people are too lazy to follow along step by step by step by step. And if you write a 6,000 word blog post or you put out an hour video or an hour podcast or an hour this, most people are too lazy for this. They only want bites of information. That's why it's people like you and me and many others can exist and make money online because we do have an expertise and we bring that expertise to the table and you can put out all that in expertise out there and people start recognizing you for that expertise. And then they come to you and say, I want help with this. And you say, I'm going to charge you a million dollars this month to do this. It's probably not a million dollars. You'll build your way up to this. But uh, you will you will help them out. You will get customers. Now, here's one of my simple guides to earning a million dollars in a year. Simple. One in every 10 people that you help out will help you back out. So you help 10 people out, one of them will help you out back. Wow. They'll return the favor. And that, that's proven Ooh. by your own experience. That's proven by my own experience. But when I ask a lot of people, they, I find that's very true. And this is in the online world. This isn't necessarily the offline world, although I find it's very similar in the offline world. I find a little bit better on the helping back. See, the, the funny thing about this, John, is in, in real life, if I was walking down the street and yep. only one in 10 people helped me, I would think it yep. was a bad day. But somehow yep. when you say it, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, right? Okay, but I'm going to take it a couple steps further. Just for all the listeners who have actually listened to me for this long, I'm so sorry. But uh, <laughs> what? This is, the, the, I'm, I'm joking, this is I'm joking. big questions here. We got people listening yeah. in Mongolia. 
Oh, I know. I love it. I love it. But I'm going to take it a step further. So, so hear me out on this one. One in every 10 people that you help out will help you back. One in every 100 people that you help out will turn into a financial relationship. So if you help out, and I'm, I'm saying a person calls you up and says, hey, I need help with this, you make an introduction to this someone or somebody or you help them out or you go help out a neighbor move somewhere or you go do this or you get me on a podcast or you get this person on a podcast. One in every hundred people that you do that with will turn into a financial relationship. Meaning some way or some form of a barter will happen. Now next step, so one out of 10 will help you back. One out of 100 will turn into a financial relationship. One out of 1,000 for me and many others will turn into a multi-million dollar relationship. It might not be that, it might not be at that time, but it will be over time. This is wild, John, this is wild. And I have found this very true in my online world is if I help out a thousand people, it will turn into a multi-million dollar relationship. So what does that mean? That means over the course of a year, I need to, and by the way, this isn't just like retweeting somebody. This is actually helping somebody, actually providing true, real value, not a blog reader, not a this. This is a person, you going up at a conference or you asking somebody or you doing, you going up to them and saying, hey, how can I help you? And then you actually following through and helping that. Now, the one out of a thousand, I think of it very similar to this. That means that every single day I need to help out three people. I need to truly help out three people. And if I do that over the course of the next year, I or my company will make a significant amount of money. This is, you know, I've been helping out a lot of people. I never counted <laughs> like that. I'm waiting for that ship to come in. Hey, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> no, it may, it may also just be where I'm at in my life and that, but I really truly believe in that. And I find a lot of other people, especially in the online, online atmosphere and the online world, um, birds of a feather flock together. And you'll start finding that the more people that you help, the ones that help you back, you'll start developing meaningful relationships with. And those people will turn into financial relationships or you'll start working together in some way, shape or form. And the more people like that, they'll introduce you to other people like them. And those people are some of the best organizations and groups I've found online. And when I find a person that helps me back and truly helps me back, like un, uh, not wanting something or not helping me out because they want to get something out of me or they want to make an intro or, hey, I'm coming, I'm interviewing you on this podcast because I want to get a financial relationship. No, that's not the way to look at things. If you're interviewing people for that, I feel you're going to fail and those numbers don't really add up. But if you're helping people to truly further them and further their life, I feel the it will start helping. So we're, we're getting you there. All right, we're so, getting you so there. number one, give away the farm. Number two, start helping people at least three a day. Next. Next, keep going. 
A lot of people give up. <laughs> a lot of people literally will. I, I, I see this so many in startup founders and companies that come and pitch me to invest in them or to help them out. And I'm like, no, I'm not interested in your idea. I think it's a great idea, but not, not really a thing. And two months later, I see them doing something else or doing this. I feel so many people. Now, there is a time when to give up. There's always a time, and those who are listening, I've given up several times in my life. I've failed over and over and over. But that being said, there are certain times when you should push through and push onward. And some of those difficult times that you're going through will make you into the person who you're bound to be and destined to be. Much like when I got ran over, I hated that. That was the worst year of my life. I hated it. I it's so much it's so hard when you see like so much in your life there and that's taken away from you and not have the ability to do this but I pushed through it and I found a different path and this path wasn't what I was going on it wasn't where I thought I'd be but it was where I was supposed to be and that pushed me through to where I am today and where I am today is not where I want to be and there might be a million different paths but I know where I'm headed and I might not get there, but I'm trying. Well, I know where I want to go. And what I want to do that? is to help people. Let's let's work through this. Where do you want to go? Okay, so what I want to do is to have the biggest impact that I can possibly have on the largest number of people. That's where I want to go in this stage of my life. And so my feeling is if I can help companies tell their stories and that storytelling helps those companies grow, then jobs are going to be created. People are going to yep. get promoted. People are going to make more money. Kids are going to go to college. And I'll have played a, a part in that. And that, yep. that would make me feel really happy. And I know I can do this. And I know people need it. I know companies need it. So yep. that, that's a pretty solid start. It is. The, the thing about it is, is that I've never really been an entrepreneur before. And yep. as this grows, I know I'm going to be hiring people. And I'm yep. just, I'm not going to do it without a cushion, without knowing I can take this on in a really structured way because all my life I've been flowing like water and I've taken my family with me and they, they love me and they put up with me, but you know, they got to, I, I'm not going to ask somebody to come work and then be worried half the time. Uh oh, our revenues are down this month. Am I going to be able to pay them? And everybody tells me that's what it's like to be an entrepreneur. That you, yes. you're not yes. an entrepreneur until you have to make a payroll. And so I want a cushion. I, I would even I would even put it a little different than that. You're not an entrepreneur until there's a major, major setback in your life. And you have to make that hard decision on which way to go. Um, you know, I, everybody looks at me and thinks, oh, my word, he's very successful here and super successful there and worth millions and has this company that's worth hundreds of millions and this and blah, 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 blah. 
but they don't see that, you know, uh, so in the past, I was very successful. I had a super big win that sold for tens of millions of dollars, but they don't see that I took that and invested in something else and was completely destroyed. And I was the guy in the room that had to lay off 70 plus employees and oh. tell every single one of them that they didn't have a job anymore. Oh man. And you know, that's an entrepreneur and that's, I mean, that destroyed me. I mean, literally destroyed me. I mean, I, I, most people don't hear that, you know, when my company went out of business, I maxed out every single credit card to pay my final payroll. That I was like charging my own company and running things through a processor and maxing out my own credit card through my own company to be able to meet payroll. And then I went to my landlord at the time who literally, I mean, I have hundreds of employees and I'm renting because I put everything back into my business. And then I lay off all these people go to my landlord and say, hey, I have three weeks less left of rent that I've already paid. I, I can't stay here any longer. I move in with my brand new wife. Um, we pack up all of our things and I'm moving from Southern California to Northern California. And halfway through my trip, neither one of us have any money. All of our credit cards are maxed out and I'm out there with a sign and a moving truck and my wife in the truck. And I'm saying, hey, I don't have enough money to get to where I'm going. Like, you don't hear that story. And that was literally, that was four and a half years ago. After previously, I literally had sold a company a year and a half before that for tens of millions of dollars. And that was me a year later. Um, see, That's I, what I it's can't, like being an I, I can't even. It's, it's not always sexy. But, but what, when I go back to my, my kind of my one in 10, one in a hundred, one in a thousand, it's because of these people that I've helped along the way that I was able to pick myself out of that. Because I've helped so many people along the way that I've built up relationships. And those relationships have gone on to do things with their life. And because I like being in the same general with people who like giving back. So when I go to them and I say, I need help, I know those people without any question will help me out. Just like if they come to me and they need help, I will open up my thing. Now I'll open it up to readers. If you guys want to contact me, you know, you guys can find my information. I make myself, I will help you out as much as I can. But if you truly become a part of a tribe and you become a part of my tribe, I will help you out till the end of the earth. And those are the type of people you'll start finding online. The more and more you help people out, again, one in every 10 will help you back. Start networking more and more with that one in 10. And one of those one in 10s, it's not one in 100, it's one in 10. And then that one in 10, it's you'll find 10 of those. And one of those 10 will lead to a financial relationship. Networking, networking, networking. So if you're trying to build up your business, I would say more and more network with those type of people, people who you help out. Like, like me, you brought me on here. You are now a friend. I will help you out. If you want a connection to anybody, now whenever you're looking for that type of audience or whenever I hear, oh my word, 
you know, this guy's really good at this type of stuff. I'll make intros to those type of people. But the more you help that person out and the more you help me out and others like me, the more it causes you to be at the top of mind, their top of mind, and the more they'll give back and give back and give back. It's very similar to why a lot of these entrepreneur organizations like EO and YPO, why they exist is because they are very good people. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of these events, but one of the requirements to maintain a membership is to give back to others and to help others and to make introductions. I'm just doing that in the online sense and in the online world. Uh, why my Twitter following has grown so well and why I have millions of followers across my social media is because I've given back. I've written amazing content over and over and over and over. I've written for Entrepreneur Magazine, I've written over 1,500 articles for that website. And I, I just give and I give and I give and that's part of my giving. And you're doing the same with this podcast. You may not think of it, but you're helping millions of people. The millions of people downloading and listening right now are engaged in you and you're helping them out. And the more you help them out, the more they're going to come back and think of you in this. So I would say if you're doing that, what you should start doing is maybe twist what you're doing a little bit more and start talking about branding a lot more in your podcasts and in your online presence because you have a very big online presence. It's just different than me. For example, like I would love to be a podcaster. I would love to come and bring brilliant people. I mean, you have interviewed Kobe Bryant. You've interviewed this person, that person, like all these ballers. I could never do that. Really, I probably could. I just haven't devoted the time to it. And I, I haven't developed that thing. Just like you need to develop more on your pitching and getting you out there for more of the branding because I actually feel you are an amazing brand builder. I just feel you want to build businesses and build that. Whereas you're set up right now to go into any business and say, hey, I have one of the top 10 most influential podcasts in the world. And here's how you, you as a CEO can do this. If you went in and changed your pitch from here's how I brand build, here's how you brand build a, a podcast and here's how you grow this, I know you'd start making money right now. You could go to any CEO that's looking to do that and, and they would hire you right now to, and you would make a lot of money. But what you should start doing is transforming a little bit more of your pitch to be more brand building and more this. That way you can start actually building people's brands up instead of, I look at you right now as more the podcasting genius and interviewing all these people and doing that versus, and this is for the listeners, if you want to be known for something online, start talking more and more about that. And so I'm making a mistake by describing what I do as storytelling when you and the online community see it as brand building? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a mistake. I would just say it's a different road. I would actually say what you're doing is far more impactful and can have a lot greater, like what you've achieved in what you're doing right now. Like it's unicorn. No, like it is near impossible to do. Just like what I do is very unicorny. It's it's very hard to do and I've devoted 
you know, tens of thousands of hours on learning how to sell people online, how to do this content. Like there are very few people in the world who can distribute content like I can, who can write for any major publication in the world. I've written for almost all of them. Very few people can do that. But I've kind of branded myself and going over to CEOs and some of the top CEOs and I've taught them how to do this and they pay me for that versus I feel there's a lot of people who would come to you and pay you tens of thousands of dollars for you to teach them how to do what you're doing right now. You don't have to change your pitch. You don't have to change your angle. You don't have to change anything. People want what you're doing. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> and and it, it is working. The phones have been ringing. Part of me, the storytelling part of me that realizes uh, I left a piece of your story out and I'm, I'm just wondering because you had kind of left me on the side of the road there where you, you'd gone from like making a multi-million dollar business to then trying to go even bigger and then crashing and having to lay off 70 people or more. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're on the side of, of a road with, with the woman who's just married you. What was that like yeah. for her to marry somebody who's highly successful and then to be on the side of the road? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You know, that's the part of the entrepreneur's journey. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that's where I'm I mean, going to go. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go there again either. Let's be honest. You, you have identified... Um, my major fear. This is exactly why yeah. I came up with Million Dollar May because it's not like I asked investors to invest in me. It's not like I went yeah. to Kickstarter and asked people for money. I'm willing to work for it, but I can't yeah. go out there and bring people in and be supporting them and not knowing how things are going to go. I, I just, I need to be really strong and structured and dependable. That's how I'm feeling. No, I, I mean, that's part of the entrepreneur dilemma is, you know, you, do I hire somebody? Do I do this? Um, I would say if you are in this, this thing, build up a little bit of a cushion uh, before any of you listening to this, you know, start being an entrepreneur. I'd have typically like six months sitting in your bank account where if all crap hit the fan, you could rely on that for six months. And if you can't figure it out in six months, you might not be destined to be there. But uh, for you specifically, um, what I'd say is if you have that, start making incremental changes. Don't think of yourself as hiring you know, 10 people. Thinking of yourself as hiring a part-time consultant on an hourly basis that can help you manage your time better or you're hiring a social media intern that can help you become better at something that you're not or help you expand yourself. When I started um, you know, in my entrepreneurial endeavors, I was actually working full-time at a job. I, at the time, I was making you know, my full-time job and I was blogging a lot on the side. And I started getting all these inbound requests. So I went to somebody online. I just went to like an Odesk or Upwork now and I put a job posting out that says, hey, I'm willing to pay somebody, I think it was like $6 an hour to respond to inbound requests. 
And I had a person, bam, I had kind of my first full-time, not full-time employee, first kind of contractor slash employee, but they would only work like an hour a day and it was $6 a day. But then they started expanding myself and expanding me. And I found that, you know, at the time I was taking about an hour every single day and they would take three hours to do it, but I would only take an hour. I didn't get frustrated at that. I knew I was a lot better at doing that. And that's why I'm making a lot more money than the person who was helping me out. But that extra hour allowed me to live a lot better of a life. And I started realizing, hey, I can outsource other aspects of my life. And during that extra time, I can use what I've got to make more and help more people out and expand my personal empire. And then it just became more and more and more and more to the point where I was still working at this job, by the way. I worked at this job and I essentially, I mean, they know this and we're still friends and stuff like that, but I essentially went into work every single day. I went to my boss while I was working there and I said, hey, I'm working on some of my own side projects. I still will work for you. I still will get all the work done, but I'm going to start coming into the office at 5.30 in the morning and I want to be gone by like 1.32 every single day. And they were like, okay. Sure. I mean, as long as you're getting the work done. So I was in work every single day at 530 and I worked 530 to two on them. But what was happening during that time, too, is I became so proficient at that job where I could literally outsource my entire job. And the rest of the time was just help spend not building out my business, but building my reputation and truly helping people. And then I, I met more people that can help me and they started helping me in other ways and I'd help them and then they introduced me to somebody that can help me in other ways. We started just networking our way up to these phenomenal positions. But then I'd go home and I'd start working on my own projects and own, at the time it was a blog and then it moved to a site that helped people to sell their homes online. And that started gaining customers. And then I'd have my people who were working for hourly wages help me out during the day because I knew that every single person that was a customer that they were helping was paying me $3 and I could pay them one to take care of them. So it just became a point where it was, you know, scale up, scale down. I could scale with that person. That's kind of what I would recommend for you is getting that person. I feel you, you have some of those people in your life. You just look at it as, oh, they're outsourced people or this. Now that original person who I was paying that low, low, low rate to still works with me to this day. Still works, still does outsource work. They still do all my dev work. I've worked with them for almost 11 years and they still do outsourced work. And now the numbers are a lot more and they make a lot more money, but it's still far more worth it to me to give it to that person because it's not worth my time to invest in that. I'm much better suited at other things that I'm a lot better at. So don't start small, start with like an hour or two or a person, I mean, even if it's like, like a person coming and cleaning your house or mowing your lawn, do you mow your own lawn? Like, or is it more worth it for you to spend that time not mowing your lawn, paying somebody, you know, $20, $30 to mow your lawn and you get that time back and that time you can dedicate and you could make $40 an hour. 
So you make $10 more an hour if you have somebody else do the work for you. Start looking at things from a mathematical perspective on what you can do. Yeah, this is great advice for me because having been a writer for decades, and it's basically all I ever knew, there's no outsourcing yourself as a writer. It's only you who can go out and find the story and interview the people. And it's only you who could sit down at a desk and make the story work. And it's only you who could deal with the editor and craft the rewrites so that the magazine or the, the book is going to come out the way the magazine. See, I, I, would actually, I would actually say that isn't true. Really? Because I would completely say that's not true because what you can do is become better and more proficient at what you're doing. So, okay, so you're writing uh, a blog post. Let's just go with a blog post. It can apply to a book or something like that. How long does it take you to write a thousand word blog post? Takes a long time, right? Takes say anywhere from 30 minutes to three hours, right? Yeah, but and depending, in, it, yeah, it, depending on the post, correct? Yeah, depending on the post, it, it does. But what you can do is you can whip out your phone and you can record yourself in a blog post and that'll take you around four to five minutes. And then you can send that to somebody to transcribe it or send that to an assistant to say, hey, here's a blog post. Go make this into a blog post. I recorded my thoughts on this. Please go make it into a blog post. Bam. That just took you from three hours to five minutes right there. And now instead of spending three hours, you're spending five minutes and you can expand yourself. Same with an editor. Like you might not be the best at editing an article, but there are people out there, for example, on my team, I have people, my average article, it will take me like 25, 30 minutes to edit. Um, but during my, that time, and it will take somebody else, say an hour to edit. I usually find this may seem horrible and very egocentric, but I find that I can do most jobs better than people. But it's probably not the case, but I just feel that way. And a lot of people do. They can feel that when they're doing it, they will do a much better job. But at the same time, if it takes a person double that time, it doesn't matter. Because if you're paying them $20 an hour and you can make $40 an hour or you can make $100 an hour, it's much more advantageous of you to use your time doing what you do best and give that to them. So in, in this blog post scenario, you spent five minutes and they can give you a polished article. You can have two people, one write it and one edit it, and then you can read it over, put your flavor into it, put your own two cents into it. In addition to, because it's your own article, it's your own words, just somebody else crafted and put it together. Then with an editor, if you don't want to go back and forth with the editor, say, this is my article. Will you please do this and have one person on your team or an outsourced person go back and forth with the editor through your email or through an email that you've created. And they can go do that tedious process because with some people, it is a very tedious process. Very similar to this podcast. You can go and spend your time editing it, clipping it, it and putting it all together, putting your intro, your extra, putting that all together. Or you can go to somebody and say, here's all the information, put it together, do it, and then spend your time. You could also have somebody prospecting for you and doing all that and finding those leads. And there are people in other countries 
that might be able to do this. There's people in your own country that might be able to do it. But people in other countries might be a lot better at it and be a lot cheaper. Well, I think the difficulty for me with the writing is that I, I would feel like I am turning over the authenticity of the piece if I had somebody else's fingers on the keyboard. Yeah. And I so would try it. I can never find do, the right just person. Just can't do it. I, I mean, yeah. I get the business. I mean, it's going to be one of those things that I would say try it out, give the exact same recording to three different people. I have been through hundreds of writers and tried out and worked with hundreds, probably actually thousands of writers. I found one writer, I actually have three writers who get my voice down to a T. They know everything about me. It's not go it didn't happen day one. I had to work with them. They had to get to know me. But I have one of my writers that knows everything about me. She's listened to hundreds, if not thousands of hours of my podcasts that I've done or this that I've done or that that I've done. She knows my voice down to a T to the point where I can sometimes dictate a one minute article or write her a couple sentences and she will write an article as if it was 100% written by me. She knows my wife's voice, my daughter's voice, my voice, <laughs> my company's voice and my entire history. And she knows everything about me. It didn't happen day one. It happened, it took a while to get there. But we did step by step and got to that point. For me, it was a time or money issue. Which do I have? Do I have time or do I have money? And it got to a point where it was like some of these articles, especially a very passionate article, would take me two or three hours to write versus I could dictate that article in about five to 10 minutes and pass it off to somebody and they could spend two hours on it. And all of a sudden, my time could be spent on other things that were much more advantageous while I knew what what I was doing got done. Well, I, I would I, say try it. Try you know it what? a couple I, times. Try it, it with three different people. Wow. You, you know, I interviewed a futurist, Brian David Johnson, on the podcast. And he was, okay. he was telling yeah. me that the keyboard actually was invented to slow things down. And hmm. that... It, it, it was it was fascinating, and he's he's basically saying that your fingers can't keep up with the words coming out of your mouth. It's it's very difficult. Oh no, it's impossible. And and so he would to write as fast as your brain talks. Yeah, he was saying that in a few years there won't be any more keyboards because I'll be speaking into my cell phone and the words are going to flash up just like you're telling me. And then yep. I'd be able to go over them or what you're advising me, somebody else would. And yep. it's saving time. Uh, it's yeah. really hard for me to swallow, but when I see the future in front of me, I, I can't just deny it. I'm, I'm, I, I'm gonna I have agree. to react to this in some way. So I, I, I thank you for, for putting that out there. And a big thanks for showing me the right way to get started. And I'm a guy who is a grand gesture guy. If I'm going to do something, uh, I'm going to just say, million dollar May, and try and make a million dollars in, in two months, uh, as opposed to slowly taking on the pieces and carefully building it. It's like I'm a guy who 
will try to run a 17 mile obstacle course as opposed to just waking up every day and having a personal trainer get me through a workout for 45 minutes. It's just my character. I got to sort of follow my soul here, but I appreciate the advice because it, I know it's really smart. Just go slow and bring in what you need at the moment and build on it and make sure your cushion's there to support these people uh, that are helping you out. Because I'm gonna tell you, man, when you told that story about having to fire all those people, that's my deepest fear to create something, have people come on the journey with me. We're all loving it. And then something happens and I have to fire somebody. I have to look him in the eye and say, no, I, I, I can't afford to pay you anymore. That's, that's what I'm trying to avoid. And I will avoid that somehow. Maybe your advice is going yes, to will. help me do that. Hey, I, I hope it helps you. I hope it helps every person listening to this. I mean, just take those small, small steps. And again, I, I did have that failure. And now I, I won't make that same mistake again. And some of the things that I've done is start a little bit slower, start a little more patient, build up revenue. I mean, now, I mean, with any of my companies that we own, we always have three to six months of cash always on reserve so that things like that will not happen. Um, as well as, you know, we, we hire slow, we fire fast. Um, we typically try and start people off on the slower, more on the contractor basis, make sure they're the right fit and make sure that we are the right fit for them. And long-term that you'll be able to bring, provide revenue for those people, which by the way, you can do like you, you are, seriously are brilliant. You're smart. I mean, the people that are listening to this, if you've made it this far, I mean, you guys are very intelligent as well because obviously you just were inspired by two amazing people. But, you know, you guys can do this. Like, I, I wouldn't consider myself the smartest person in the world. I consider myself very, very far from that. I just, it's hard to beat somebody that will never give up. And I'm that guy that will never give up. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the world but just don't give up. Well, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> I'm going to try and bring in a million dollars in new revenue by the end of May. And I now know, though, you've made me relax in one really good way because I didn't have this thought. But if I do bring somebody in, I have to know, okay, Cal, you need to have that person's salary for six months in the bank so that you're covered and you can relax. Yeah, and again, that's not a hard, fast rule. That's a rule for people who are very, very worried and like yourself who are very afraid to take that jump. If you have that six months sitting there, that will make your life a whole lot easier. Yeah, I'm not afraid to take a jump for me. I just don't want to disappoint anybody. You'd be surprised what you can do. We're going to find out. I love it. I, I got to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I learned so much. And I'm going to give away the farm. I'm going to help people. And we'll see where it goes on the internet. Beautiful. We will be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers, John. Cheers. That about wraps it up. want to thank Tim Ferriss for taking me on this magical adventure when he nudged me to start this podcast. also want to thank my sponsors. For your office space needs, check out WeWork. I did my podcast with John in one of their offices. And the beauty of my Global Access Pass is that I can do a podcast in a WeWork from just about anywhere because WeWork takes care of your office space needs all over the world. You need a communal table, small office, conference room, podcast space, a theater. WeWork has got it. And you're going to get it at a 20% discount if you go to www.we.co slash cal. Thank you, WeWork. And I want to thank my friends at Sportique. And you'll want to thank them as well the first time you slide into a Sportique comfy tee, hoodie, or sweatpants. Get a 20% discount on these threads by going to Sportique.com and using the offer code CAL. And remember, Sportique customizes shirts and sweats for NBA teams, colleges. If your company, conference, or group needs shirts or hoodies customized for everyone on your team, let me know, and I'll pass on the message to Matt and Jason directly. It'll make me happy to make you happy. I want to thank Luz Fleming for the audio assistance. Kevin the manager for being Kevin the manager. And you for coming on the journey with me. If you know someone whose company is having trouble telling its story, let me know. I'm here to help. Cheers. Cheers.